We're back here on the Sedano Show, and joining me is a buddy of mine, longtime friend, Dan Lebitard. Uh, Dan Lebitard Show, highly questionable. Um, he is no longer the star of his own shows, which we could get to a little later because he has been hijacked by his father and his co-host on his radio show. Uh, but I want to touch on all that stuff in a little bit. But more importantly, uh, he spoke to Pat. You did a day in the life with Pat, uh, Dan. First of all, you've known him for a really long time. So for you to be surprised about anything involved in that conversation or that day you spent with him, um, what would you say was your biggest takeaway? Was there anything you were surprised by in hanging out with him for the day? Well, he's an interesting psychological study for a number of different reasons. Like, we did some cool stuff. He's got a classic car collection that we looked at. And, he, you know, one of his cars was, oh, you know, James Dean, was the James famous James Dean car that he – that he bought from, you know, the, the one of the guys on ZZ Top. Like, his life has a lot of stuff like that in it. But for as many people in Los Angeles and New York and Miami who know him to be a basketball icon, I don't feel like many people sort of have uh, been behind the golden gates with him a little bit because he's he's receded largely in public life after dominating Los Angeles, right? He was the – I mean, he had to be the king of Los Angeles for a while there as the fashion icon model walking the, the runway, winning, you know, four championships in, before he was 42 years old. Um, and so what I like looking at is how he became this, this creature, this crazy, maniacal, win-at-all-cost creature who, like, uh, cuts out everybody but lifers and loyalists who can't speak anymore to Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. Like, at 73, he's still out here chasing and fighting and still like talking about win at all costs while you know acknowledging through tears when we're talking about it the cost to his family and and how much he's trying to do late in life with big events like renewing his marital vows with his wife who you know got swallowed by the basketball world um you know so it's just it's the attempt is an intimate portrait at uh, at someone that los angeles uh, probably cares about yeah and of course it'll air at 2 30 on sunday afternoon on espn before we get ready to air some nba games obviously that day so make sure you check it out and of course it'll be on demand and whatnot as well uh so i'm sure you'll be able to find it there uh so you know you mentioned just kind of all the stuff he gave up what was i guess the thing that he most laments giving up as far as his normal life is concerned Oh, it's just the family stuff that you end up missing out on, uh, that you're, you're, you know, he was talking about, uh, he, he was a hoodlum as a kid, okay? He was a shoplifter, a troublemaker, was always getting into fights, and the relationship with his family was cold. Um, you know, he, he loved his mother a great deal, but his father, you know, never reached some of the dreams that he wanted to in baseball, and his father was, you know, someone who drank a good amount, and so Pat Riley left for Kentucky, uh, you know, without even saying goodbye to his parents, just made the drive to get out of like a pretty bleak, cold upbringing. And then basketball started bringing success and fame and all these things that he didn't have when he was younger, money and glory. And you see how that became cartoonish in Los Angeles, where he becomes, you know, the, 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 the CEO type as coach. He practically invented that, the idea of the guy on the sidelines who knows more than everybody. And so what ends up happening is that basketball success replaces what should have been loved somewhere in his life. Basketball success becomes family. Basketball success swallows everything else. And so he kept chasing it. And, you know, one day he's at his, uh, 
at his daughter, giving away his daughter at the wedding. And, you know, he's falling apart on camera talking about just, you know, the things that were missed and, uh, and the things that he still gets to enjoy. Like this is, um, these, like I said, these are meant to be intimate. And so you'll, I think you'll have access to a Pat Riley you haven't seen before. So, I mean, look, yeah, you've talked about it there a second ago. He's, he's tough. Schenectady, New York is not, is very blue collar, right? And he becomes this kind of Hollywood icon, uh, with the Lakers. Now we know the actual story about, you know, the NBA and, you know, kind of leaving the NBA or the NBA really chewing him out and spitting him out. Um, and then kind of latching on with the Lakers as a traveling secretary, broadcaster, et cetera, eventually ends up as the coach because Magic Johnson wants Paul Westhead out. And so when he takes that job, is how overwhelmed is he? Like, is that something that, that he discussed with you? Like, just kind of the beginnings there of, oh, my God, I can't believe I have this job. Like, now what the hell do I do? Well, it was interesting because when he left basketball as a player, he spent a couple of years as a beach bum in a, you know, an old-timey van with, uh, you know, the the equivalent of flames painted on the side and some brown (laughs) carpet inside. And so he was horribly depressed. He wrote, you know, like a 600-page manifesto because that part of his identity had died. Uh, But when he gets to Los Angeles, uh, you know, Chick Hearn, you know, the people know parts of this story. What they might not know is, for example... The coach who ended up becoming a GQ sex symbol, the coach who made Armani popular in this country and had all sorts of benefits because of his relationship with Armani, the coach who, um, the, the, the lead character in uh, Tequila Sunrise, uh, Kurt Russell, was modeled after this Pat Riley GQ coach that when he was growing up, he had one pair of pants. And one day he threw that pair of pants what that was wet into the oven uh, to dry them. And, you know, that he didn't know that it would leave grill marks. And so he, um, you know, he'd go to school with, with pants and in, uh, that were being mocked, and then he would get into fights. And so that you can make your own conclusions about whether that childhood experience ended up shaping the man that you then saw on those sidelines that, as you said, is connected in New York. Like he is and always has been more mechanic than fashion model. So he gets to L.A. and then obviously they start winning. So how much does he believe in his own mythology at that point? That's funny that you should say that, because I think one of the things that we kept in the piece was me. I I mean, I burst out laughing when I asked him, you know, where and when ego was responsible for contaminating him. And he said, well, I thought I was the reason the Lakers were good. And uh, and I burst out in such laughter that it was disrespectful. Um, no, you know, but 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 uh, yeah, it was it was. I feel bad about it in retrospect. Well, well wait, 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 wait. So when you did that, what did he do to you? Um, no, he he laughed and then corrected me like, hey, I was pretty good. You know, I did have I, I had some good players, but I did some good things. He uh There's one clip that we left in where he believes that he cost the Lakers a championship with a poorly called timeout on an inbounds pass. And the way that he remembers the details of that play and the way that he sort of soothes himself with his hands, whatever this is now, 40-some-odd years later, like that one stays with him. Um, You'll see a couple of moments in this where he, he soothes himself. He soothes himself because he's talking about mistakes uh, made. And, and one of the things that he was talking about was when he returned to New York and that whole fiasco of people remember like him coming onto the court and just sort of, you know, 
taunting New York. He remembers for some reason that he was leading 12-2 to two in that game. He thought he was going to go back to New York and win, and then he got his head kicked in. So the funny thing that you bring that up, of the stuff he laments with the Lakers, um, I, I work with Michael Thompson, who's here, and Byron Scott, who's here very regularly at ESPN here in L.A. And I, I asked them, like, is there anything that you regret from the time you played for Pat? And they both say it. Now, it actually happened to Byron, so of course he's going to regret it more. But they had basically swept through the Western Conference portion of the playoffs, and Pat had run them so hard in the time off while they were waiting for Detroit that Byron Scott blew out his hamstring because they were practicing so hard uh, while waiting for the Pistons, and then he wasn't available to them uh, in that series, and then other injuries kind of mounted up. But that's the one they point back to. They're like, you know, Riles ran us so damn hard. We were sitting there. We were supposed to be chilling, waiting for the Pistons, and he couldn't help himself. Well, you're going to love this, right? Because, you know, the stories are famous of him, like, keeping a distance between his players and sort of, like, putting letters under their doors instead of speaking things to them that he wanted conveyed. And in our career in Miami, the greatest cartoon manifestation of Pat Riley's will was all those muscles of Alonzo Mourning, who sort of willed himself into being this unbelievably cartoonish workhorse warrior person and pat riley uh breaks down when talking about alonzo mourning and the way that he was willing to be pushed uh and the lengths he would go to be pushed they'd get into these giant arguments he didn't mind pat you know you could say f you to him as long as you taught him something and so when he failed uh, to get Alonzo Mourning a title uh, before 2006, he was talking about losing some of those series to the Knicks, and uh, and he breaks down just thinking of how Alonzo Mourning inspired him to inspire others. Like that, the 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 chief word in culture is cult, right? And the Pat Riley cult people will tell you that being harder working and in better shape than everybody is sort of the cost if you're going to if you're going to work for the man. Yeah, look, I, I got a chance to talk to Magic Johnson right after he took the job uh here with the Lakers and I I asked him, you know, whose brain did you pick? He told me he spent a week with Pat Riley talking about those particular things, not only just the front office stuff and the potential ins and outs of that, but body fat and, uh, you know, strength and uh, being able to have endurance and, and all those things that, you know, have become basically the mantra uh, of him. And, and yeah, he does still have all these, you know, zealots, uh, for lack of a better term, that will just kind of do that. Now, the funny thing is, like, how he turned those guys, because, you know, as we kind of touched on briefly earlier, like, he gets to a situation where Magic Johnson called the shots and allowed him to be the guy, um, and he was already you know, having to walk into a situation where he's coaching an MVP like Kareem. Did you talk about how he turns guys into those zealots, for lack of a better term? Um, it's just an obsessive compulsiveness that's unreasonable, George, at this age. I mean, what does he have left to accomplish? Let's think about this for a second. 50 basketball years. The, you'll see in the piece on Sunday, you will see that uh, you know, the angle from the Hall of Fame speeches being made by Morning, by Magic Johnson, by um, Michael Jordan, uh, that this guy's lineage runs five decades deep in basketball, that he's still sitting here coming to the office. For what, George? Like, for what? Right. what why? It's, when, he, when he's got this home in Malibu that he's dying to get back to, he's looking at the home 
on his phone all the time, all the cameras, because he's got this home in Malibu that's keeping some of those exotic cars. And he's always talking about getting back out there and, and just having the last part of his life be out there. But I don't think he's ever leaving the throne. I don't think that he can leave, uh, leave basketball and get on with his life. I think he's going to have his fingers and everything. And, and that kind of zealous commitment that has cost him, as I said, a great deal of family time, a great deal of life's big moments. Uh, if you're going to make that trade, um, he, he's going to demand that the people who come with him be disciples. So basically Malibu, this notion of Malibu that he uh, discussed with Wright Thompson is just a notion. It's a dream, but it probably will never really come to fruition. Nobody believes that he's ever going to retire. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing him relentlessly that he's going to still be sitting in the offense 10 years after his death. That he's just going to be still there, just sort of weekend uh, at Bernie's. That's that. That would be Pat Riley. Well, I mean, Miami <laughs> Heat have had a great deal of success, right? With the Arisons hiding in the shadows and allowing him to do all the, you know, I throw my rings on the table myth building. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Dan Lebitard with us here again. Uh, check out the uh, the interview with Pat Riley, the day in the life uh, with Pat Riley. It's two thirty on ESPN on Sunday, so make sure you check that out before. Uh, the NBA slate starts that afternoon or that evening. Um, Dan, let's switch gears here now. So I want to talk to you about kind of everything that you've got going on because I'm super happy for you. I know we, we you and I actually just traded text you know a few weeks ago about kind of where you're at. Um, let's talk about professionally where you're at because um, it sounds like you're having as much fun as you've ever had, and you've had a lot of fun in your life doing this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of laughter every day. ESPN has allowed us to be anti-establishment from within the establishment. They've allowed us, they've outsourced a lot of the fun to us. And so, um, yeah, going to work with my family and friends and laughing a lot every day. Um, as I, as I don't, I don't need to explain to you as someone who also values family, how nice it is to just, you know, come in and screw around for four hours a day and call it a day of work. Uh, the only thing that's going to sabotage it is inevitably when my father holds out, uh, in, 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 you think I'm joking. You no, know, no, I believe you. You know, you know better. <laughs> no, you know, you know better than most. Like, yes. I think he's going to walk and just blow up my entire career in September. It wouldn't be a terrible way to go. <laughs> what you, I mean, yeah, cause you can't really, even Greg Cody can't necessarily be poppy. Like that doesn't work. Like he's probably your best stand-in, uh, like your understudy. But I don't think it has the same juice. Well, he's mad. I'm not making this up, George. I, I, it, it'd be funny if it wasn't something I was living every day. He's he's mad, but not wrong because he knows good and well that he's become the star of the show, and he happens to know <laughs> what I'm paid, and that he's not paid <laughs> like the star of the show. And so, my greatest mistake was ever telling him what I'm paid because now he's <laughs> making a good uh, <laughs> private mess and public mess. Listen, I, I'm not making this up, George. The other thing, we were interviewing one of the owners of the Sixers on the television show. And my father started complaining to him, bitching to him about how he's going to hold out. He's going to leave. They better pay him. And the guy just kept laughing and laughing and laughing. And I'm laughing. But my father's like, I'm not joking. Like, why are you laughing? You shouldn't be laughing at this because he wasn't joking. He's going to set fire to the place in a couple of months. Well, here's the thing. He's the only guy, and you and I have discussed this. He's the only guy at the company that can't take a day off. (laughs) <laughs> well, him and Stephen A. Smith. Right. Well, that's true. Those are the only two who are never allowed by contract to have a moment off. 
Yeah, but it, it is pretty funny because you've taken off plenty on that show, and he's there. Like, he is the constant. You know, they can replace you with Isola right now, Lebetard, and it doesn't really That's matter. Right. <laughs> they can replace me on all our shows with anybody. That's the great secret at ESPN, that we're all incredibly disposable underneath those four letters. Yeah, oh, there's no question about that. But be quiet about that because I'm also up in September. I don't need people hearing that. You know, I got to deal with my own nonsense. Um, oh, and- they, can't, they can't lose two brown people at once. They can't lose Sedano <laughs> and Levitard's dad. Well, they'd be losing three yeah. because I can't do the show without them. Right. I can't do it. Right. We have a brown people revolt. Maybe I should see this is the thing. I'm coming to Miami next week. I feel like I should strategically plan this out with your father now. There you go. You guys, you could do it. Uh, you should be his agent. You should be his Drew Rosenhaus. Next question. <laughs> um, and then on the radio show, you've basically just allowed Stugatz to run rampant. <laughs> um, um, more and more, yeah. More and more, my job is to just be the straight man who stands there as alleged sports credibility and allows uh, the rodeo clowns to do their work. It's been a funny uh it's been a funny evolution to see. I mean, you've seen most of it. You've seen you can uh, make fun of the idea of sports radio uh, with the best of them. Like that, this silly thing that we do. It's not that hard to be different at it. It's not that hard um, to enjoy doing it. And for a long time, we all grew up doing listening to it a certain way. And now the people of that generation are embracing that Stu God's bring something different to the table. Like the whole thing we've been joking about is that my total goal here, stated publicly, is to climb over the Dan Patricks, the Stephen A. Smiths, the Scott Van Pelt, and get to the very top of the ESPN mountain and stand there with my fists on my hips. And then the very last move is Stugat climbing my neck, slithering around my ear, and ending up on my head, planting his own flag, impaling me, and everything coming crumbling to the ground when the federal agents come to get him. It is, it is like a modern-day Game of Thrones with Stugat. He's just waiting you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he is worse than ever. He is, he is just crazed with with greed and power. And did you hear the story the other day? A a, a city was willing to give him to fly there for a Stugatz day, a private jet and a golf round with John Daly. And he turned it down. I know. I know the guy. The guy actually reached out to me not that long ago. And I went on his show and he told me the whole damn story. And I'm like, what did you expect? Did you expect anything less? <laughs> I mean, but how much better is the offer going to get for him than that? He wanted to have a Stugatz Day. Sioux Falls gave him a Stugatz Day. They gave him a private jet, and they told him he could golf with John Daly. And what he came back with was, "You guys need to make it warmer." Well, you know, I mean, heat lamps—they could provide heat lamps. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it could be something. Uh, I'm actually sitting in for you—not this, co- uh, not today, obviously, but next Monday. Uh, I was going to tell Mike actually because you've always joked. That Stugatz is slightly afraid of me because I know where the bodies are buried. And um, and I, I'm, I was going to tell Mike that when I do the show on Monday, as Stugatz drives the show, I want to come up with like some kind of play off the seven deadly sins and make it like the seven uh, Stugatz like revelations or something. And just seven things that he has told me over the years that he'd be mortified that the audience would know about. Oh, my God. Would people love that show? You need to start teasing that show right now. Now, there is somebody who won't love it. There's a good chance that you and him will not speak after that. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I'm willing. I mean, I don't have to ever come back on the show while he's there. I mean, there's that. You know? well, that's a good way to blow it up. You should, you should blow it up 
like because I might, when you say when you say that you know where the bodies are buried, I don't totally know that you're not being literal there. <laughs> Oh, Monday's going to be fun. I am. I'm going to call Mike right after we're done here. That's what's going to happen. So, um, great, buddy. I'm. I'm excited for you. I'm happy for you. Levitard and friends. Make sure you subscribe to that too. Uh, there's a lot more coming there. I would imagine. Yes. 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 We've got a bunch of plans there. There's going to. Uh, we're going to give people a lot of menu items here over the next year. Awesome. And uh, congrats on uh, actually doing the thing where uh, I thought you'd never do. You pull, you, you're taking the plunge, Levitard. There we go. Come on, Levitard. Clap it up. Good job, Dan. Finally. Yeah, I, now, I, I, well, marriage, <laughs> marriage and children will then ruin your life, too, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but also enhance <laughs> your life in a lot of ways. All right. Well, good. I'm glad that you've got me having children already. All right. Let's yeah. Go. Well, you know, I mean, maybe that's the way you salvage the poppy thing. You know, I don't know. You got some oh, time. Oh, there you go. Give him something to do. Give him something to do. Uh, Poppy, yeah, Poppy would be a good grandpa. He's overdue. He's certainly overdue. <laughs> All right, buddy. Love you. Thank you so much. Again, check it out. Uh, 2.30 this Sunday here, Pacific time on ESPN, 5.30 Eastern. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. Gracias, Jorge.